I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Freddie. And I'm Ben. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we're discussing all things Lib Dem. So we're doing a special episode on the Lib Dems today, which we did promise. We did a special on the Green Party not so long ago, which you can find in the show notes of this podcast if you're interested in their prospects and their strategies. So first of all, let's start with you, Freddie, because you have looked recently into the Lib Dems general election strategy. And what's really interesting, I really like these kind of monikers that parties Mm. give their target voters. You found that they're targeting lifelong Tories, which I suppose we know from what they've been doing in by-elections and things, but also the Surrey shufflers. Can you explain a bit about what they're doing for those two groups? Yeah, I was quite surprised when they said this. This is one of the one source who's sort of highly involved with their election strategy and they're targeting these Surrey shufflers. These are people who've moved to London, maybe got a partner, moved out to Kennington or somewhere in the southwest of London, and then they have maybe want to have a family. So they want to move to Surrey, Hertfordshire, the problem is that they would never vote Tory because these are, these are Londoners, it's not what they do. But then when they move out of the city, Labour don't really have much of a presence. So they turn to Lib Dem. Lib Dems are really thinking now about how they can actually target these voters and particularly trying to get their ground strategy up and running in the next few years. That's so interesting. And so what it is really capitalising on a demographic shift more than changing in any way the party's branding. Yeah, and they point to the pandemic as well, the fact that many people started moving out of London, releasing them from Labour's grasp and offering them up to the Lib Dems as as another alternative. So the demographics in some of these constituencies surrounding London are changing and they're very conscious of that. But I think what you, if you want to understand the... Lib Dem strategy more broadly, you've got to look at what they did since 2019. They've been very conscious of becoming more of a campaigning force. It was one of the key pledges that Ed Davey stood on when he tried to become leader. And it's just something, it's a mistake the Conservatives made after 2015. They said, OK, we've had an election now. We've also got the Fixed Term Parliament Act, so we don't expect another one for five years. So they dismantled their election machinery, the researchers, the digital operatives, the people who are on the ground knocking on doors, the activists, all those sort of structures that normally get built up before an election. And then when 
Theresa May called that surprise or that snap election in 2017, they floundered. They weren't ready for it. And you saw that during the campaign. So they were trying to avoid that. Since 2019, they've increased their number of campaign managers from about five to 30. They shoveled money down to the grassroots. So they are thinking about it a lot and they're not trying to take the foot off the gas in between elections. That's so interesting. So they're learning from that past kind of maybe a bit of complacency, really. In terms of the by-elections that they've won, we've yeah. had Chesham and Amersham, Tiverton and Honiton, North Shropshire. These are all quite different places. So it does present a challenge to the Lib Dems in any way because you have one place that's that kind of suburban Tory-facing but remain yeah. voters who are put off by the Conservative shenanigans of recent years. And then you have quite Brexity seats and then very rural seats as well, where I remember one Liberal... Democrat strategist was telling me the distinction between these kind of seats Mm. and they were saying in some places there's voters who call the Lib Dems the Liberals and that's mm. the sort of really old Tory heartlands where they refer well, to the them Scottish as the Liberals and then the others where the Lib Dems are seen as more of a sort of newer prospect. Yeah, the strategy at the moment is very much focused on the Tories. I, when I interviewed Ed Davey, the party leader, back in December, he said, in our top target seats, they're only against incumbent Tory MPs bar one, which is Sheffield Hallam, which is held by Labour, and then two others, which are also the SNP. So they're very conscious of targeting Tories in terms of their messaging, in terms of the constituencies as well, because they think that's the gives them the best chance of winning seats. And it also makes sense because they're the government and they're also they're doing so badly in the polls. If the Lib Dems want to target the Labour, it would be much harder prospect than targeting a Tory party that's in disarray. And what does that mean for their policy? Does it mean that they have to put out a vaguely right-leaning message in order to try not to put off the Tory voters that they're trying to pick off? Yeah, I mean, you do go through their policy and as with most opposition parties, it is quite sparse. They would say, for instance, that they were one of the first to call for a windfall tax. Ed Davey announced a mortgage protection scheme in his pseudo-conference speech because the conference was cancelled because of the death of the Queen. He announced that policy then. So they've got a few policies which just signal what their priorities are and actually are quite focused on the political issue at hand. So I don't think they are trying to necessarily formulate their agenda based on policy is much more of a criticism about the Tories, about their lack of competence, about some of the corruption scandals we've seen recently. I don't think you're seeing policy front and centre the Lib Dems offering. And that definitely seems to resonate with voters in those places, I think. I remember going to a focus group fairly recently in Isha, which is one of these Surrey areas, Dominic Rubb's seat, which looks likely to fall to the Lib Dems in the next election, if I'm correct. And a lot of the people in that focus group had been Tory voters or defined themselves as Tory voters, but none of them wanted to vote Tory. And I thought what was interesting is it wasn't just because of what the government had been like in Mm. in the recent months and years, but it was also specifically, we want to get Dominic Raab out. And what struck me was they were very engaged in politics. They knew the ins and outs. They knew how much money sort of Liz Truss had erased from the economy. They knew these stories, especially the Tory sleaze scandals as well. A lot of mention of like different ministers who had had to resign or got into water. And so I do think in those demographics, it probably is fruitful for the Lib Dems just to play on these kind of almost some people might regard them as kind of Westminster stories first and foremost because those people are so engaged. Yeah, because you've got to remember that the Liberal Democrats and the Conservative Party over the past decade or so haven't actually been that far apart and they were yeah. in government together for five years. So on the policy issues, it is actually quite hard to find a big difference, I think, in people's minds. Yeah, I think you're completely right, Anoush. You've got to target on individual constituencies. That's why the ground operation is so important. That's why knocking on doors is so important because you have to find the gaps in the two main parties' operations that will allow you to win seats. 
Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And we have Ben here as well, Ben Walker, our polling expert. Ben, first of all, give us an idea of how the Lib Dems are doing at the moment. Nationally, to be honest, they're doing quite poorly. But it doesn't really matter to them. This is the thing. Right now, they're polling 8%, 9%, which is three, four points down on the 2019 election. And every time we put out a poll which has them on 10% or 11%, your Lib Dems getting all very excited. They're in double figures. They're on their way. But really, it doesn't really matter them. The national position is not particularly important. They know that. What they know is their strategy is different to, say, Labour's. Labour needs 40% plus to get a majority at the next election. The Lib Dems don't need more than, say, 10% to get 20, 30, 40 seats, because they know, really, that so long as they're positioned in certain seats, so long as they're seen as the alternative to the Conservatives, they're going to be okay. At the moment, nationally, 8%, Four points down on the last election, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is, are they positioning themselves in the right seats? And it looks as though they are. So as you saw in Freddie's piece, they really are targeting a lot of similar, the home counties, the those who've since left the overheated London economy to go find homes further afield in Surrey, in Hertfordshire, in Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire, definitely. And we're starting mm. to see that mm-hmm. in elections. So my obsession is, as always, local elections. I find the ward by ward results, the granular stuff really that's what we love and, about you, Ben. Yeah. Oh, thank you. One of my many favourite personality traits. But no, <laughs> Oxfordshire, 2021, Lib Dems swept it. But why they were sweeping were commuter belt type towns, mm-hmm. right? Along the main arteries of Oxfordshire, they really were winning in the towns. In Surrey, they're starting to pick up seats. Dominic Raab's literacy uh, council seats, they're really under threat by the Lib Dems. It really is Lib Dem versus Tory there. And this is the thing, when you think of the Lib Dems, right, I think it's fair to say a lot of our political upbringings were under New Labour when the Lib Dems were winning in places like Devon and Cornwall. And they were they were running Bristol. That that was 15 or so years ago. We're not going to go back to that for the Lib Dems. We're not going to see much of a recovery in that sense of the word, I spoke to Lib Dem organisers in the southwest, and they say, like, we're finished here. We can't come back. And that, that, that was last year. They don't think mm. they can come back in Cornwall because the leave vote, leave vote really has been a lot. They can't really penetrate that as much as they used to. But Remainers, 
they can go hard. They can go really hard. So around about between 40 to 50% of present Labour voters say they would happily tactically vote Lib Dem if it was a Tory versus Lib Dem marginal. And that's what the Lib Dems need. They need a lot of tactical voters. And in places like Surrey, in Remainer, Cambridgeshire, Oxfordshire, a lot of the seats that if Boris Johnson were Prime Minister, he would lose. But Rishi Sunak's a little bit more competitive, but it's all relative. It, they're, all, they're at rock bottom right now. The Lib Dems are okay. They're, at the moment, <laughs> at the moment the they're probably all right. going to, They're all right. Personally, I some of my best friends are Lib Dems. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're on course for between, I would say, I know Britain predicts at the moment if any of our listeners keep an eye on Britain predicts at the moment Britain predicts says between 10 and 20 seats fair but that's not accounting for tactical voting when you account Mm. for tactical voting they're closer to 40 seats and 40 seats disproportionately in the southeast is definitely what the wrong course for I think the Brexit point is really interesting, Ben, because how the party is portrayed to people was massively changed by Brexit. It was so key to their electoral attraction to many people in 2019. I think you saw their donation soar from about 4 million in 2018 to about 20 million in 2019. Their membership also soared. So it completely changed the way the party operated. And I was speaking to one source in the party the other day, and they were basically saying after that, our membership absolutely collapsed. It started to plateaued off now, but the perception with many is okay we didn't actually stop Brexit so you failed on that promise you got to remember that it was that was the whole bollocks to Brexit mm. repeal mm. Brexit when if we get into power if we get a majority because we'll, we'll take that as a mandate to do so and now they're trying to move away from that a little bit I think Davey said in December he basically said I kept pressing him on this because I thought it was a, a, a really important point because it was as I said so key to the Lib Dem strategy what do you think about Brexit are you going to go hard on it don't you think Labour slightly adopting the language of Brexit opens up a gap for you to fill and he basically said no it's not a priority for voters right now we want to be talking about the economy we want to be talking about the issues we were speaking about earlier Nush. so it is an interesting shift away from from 2019 that we're seeing now in 23. Yeah, that's really interesting. I do remember going round a constituency in Devon in that 2019 election where, you know, probably one of these places where they refer to the Mm. Lib Dems as liberals rather than liberal Democrats. And even Remainers there or people who were a bit sceptical about Brexit were saying that they didn't particularly like the revoke policy and felt like it went against that British sense of fair play. So I wonder if that ties into what Ben was saying about the activists that he's been speaking to who think that some of these constituencies that lent more towards Brexit might be more of a lost cause. I don't know if that's fair, Ben. Yeah, no, perfect example is this. Again, I refer you to Britain Predicts, which which right now is forecasting Labour to get more than 400 seats if an election was held today. Emphasis today, it's assuming the Tory base is staying at home, which is a fair chunk of it will, but it's unlikely to be in totality. Right now, we're forecasting one seat. It's the southern westernmost seat in the country, St. Ives. It's where, what is it, Land's End is? Yeah, Penzance as well. It's currently forecast to go Lib Dem because the Lib Dems really came quite close at the last election. But every organiser who, for the Lib Dems I speak to, say, your forecast is rubbish. It's not going to happen. <laughs> We're getting nowhere there. We're making no progress whatsoever. On paper, they should be winning it. In practice, though, that they've hit a ceiling. It's similar to North Shropshire 2019. In 2019, Labour came second, didn't they? And mm. there's always this argument that, oh, Labour should have had a more of a, a clear run there. But it was the Liberals, sorry, the Lib Dems who took it. This is the <laughs> thing. In, in seats like North Shropshire, there's a lower ceiling for Labour. 
And in seats like St. Ives, there's a lower ceiling for the Lib Dems. It's because their appeal amongst Leave voters is, I would say, permanently blocked until we either resolve the Brexit question or truly move on from it. So yeah, their appeal is limited elsewhere, but it's much more expanded in other seats as well. Are they likely to come back in metropolitan urban England? I would say wait until the next election, wait until Labour get into government. When Labour's base start to feel a bit inevitable, every government, they get to be a bit annoyed with their government. So they, I can imagine this. In 10 years from now, if we have a Labour government, you can probably imagine a bit a seat like Brent, again, Haringey, once again, hosting large numbers of Lib Dem voters because Labour voters, you know, disgruntled with the government, go mm. Lib Dem again. But right now, they're not getting that. Where they are comfortable, where they are strong is countryside Surrey is... I hate the term Blue Wall England. You, where else could you be seeing? Hall of Cambridgeshire. Everywhere around Cambridgeshire, yeah. but not mm. Cambridge proper because there's too much students in Cambridge. Where else? You Hazel Grove, uh, Cheadle. Hazel Grove. Yeah, Cheadle. Though, those are the only two rare seats in the northwest. Harrogate and Nesborough, where I'm from. Uh, at the moment, again, Britain predicts says, you know, Labour should win that. No. No, because Labour's ceiling is a lot lower, because the appeal Labour has in places like Harrogate is a lot lower, even though on paper they're doing better. Yeah, their potential, to reiterate, is these affluent, Remainer-leaning, blue wall areas. This is why I'm a little bit worried. We've had, what, two, three? Three by-election wins for them? North Shropshire, Cheshire and Amersham, Tiverton and Honiton. Cheshire and Amersham, they should probably hold on to pretty well when we have the next election. North Shropshire, I'm just not sure. I don't know. And Tiverton and Honiton is a bit of an ask. What we need to see in the next few years is them to build up a local base in councillors. In Buckinghamshire, they can do that. In Devon, which is where Tiverton is, we're going to see that in the election to come in May. But in North Shropshire, we haven't seen that at all. And mm-hmm. I think they should be a little bit worried by that. And you mentioned Remainer-leaning marginals. And it's not just the people who have moved out to these places who they want to get the votes of. Is it, there must be Tory Lib Dem switches too, Ben. What can you see in the data about them? Because oh. I remember speaking to a Lib Dem MP who basically said, <laughs> and this was during a leadership campaign for the Lib Dems, and they were saying that actually it matters less who the leader of the Lib Dems is and more who the leader of Labour is. Because yeah. actually when you've got a Labour leader that Tory voters aren't afraid of, like they may have been of Jeremy Corbyn, then they're more relaxed about voting Lib Dem instead of Conservative. This is something we found through exclusive polling with Redfield and Wilton that, that you were able to commission for us. Uh, <laughs> was it plug. a few weeks ago? Yeah. Look, this is a point that's often forgotten about 1997. Turnout declined. Mm. And so you had the Labour vote falling in most of the seats they stood in. But my goodness me, they were, they were swinging the seats super hard. They were seeing their vote share rise by 10, 15, 20 percentage points. And the lower turnout was just a, uh, it was a side note, right? And I suspect we're going to see something similar. The reason being we're going to see similar is because Keir Starmer is is inoffensive. The Labour brand right now is not as offensive, not as worrisome for disgruntled conservative voters as it was mm-hmm. in 2019, 17, 15 and 10. 1997, a lot of the re- you saw turnout disproportionately fall amongst Tory seats or rather where there was a large Tory vote. And the reason being that is a lot of Tory voters stayed at home, not because they thought the election, you know, was a done deal for Labour. Part of that, but the main reason was when they were asked what they thought of Tony Blair and New Labour, they thought, eh, don't really care. Mm. And we're sort of beginning to see the same for Keir Starmer's Labour Party. It's all relative. Don't get me wrong here. There is a lot of just worth bearing in mind. 35% of the country like Keir Starmer. 30, 32% don't. Starmer is no Blair. I refuse to make that comparison. Anyone listening? No, I'm not. A, <laughs> I'm not a Starmer fanboy here. But the point is, he's not exactly inspiring, but he's not turning off 
And that's the key thing in our British political system where we're always resentful of our leaders. Starmer is not inspiring resentment yet. So it's okay. Interesting. And I think the main question that our listeners will be interested in us answering is that idea of a potential Labour Lib Dem pact. Obviously, it's in the interests of both parties to reject that there's any sort of formal talks going on. There's got to be the prospect of it, Freddie. Yeah, it is. And that's why, I mean, you know, no disrespect to council elections or the polling at the moment, but that's why is the key question here. Is there going to be a coalition between the Lib Dems and Labour after the next election? Labour are coming from such a low base, they might not be able to get a majority outright. They've said they don't want to do a coalition with the SNP and they're much more likely to turn to the Lib Dems. Of course, that completely depends on the numbers. Are they going to be able to get to a total majority in a coalition with the Lib Dems after the next election? Will they need them anywhere? These are all the questions, but that's why it matters. That's why we're talking about it. Similar to electoral reform, isn't it? It's probably in the long run it would help Labour to have electoral reform because it keeps them in government, probably. We'll probably have a progressive majority for quite some time, but they don't want to talk about it because when you talk about electoral reform, you invite an attack from the Tories, which is that you're inspiring instability in this country. Yeah, and the minute we get electoral reform in the country is probably the minute we start to see the death of the Labour Party, the splinter of it into multiple parties. So they don't want to talk about it. It's similar to electoral attacks. Understandably so. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, my colleagues Freddie Hayward and Ben Walker. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to follow and subscribe and leave us a nice review and submit a question to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.